the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. The 2017 Cannes Film Festival is in full effect, and one of the most anticipated premieres is Sofia Coppola's The Beguiled, starring Nicole Kidman, Elle Fanning, Kirsten Dunst, and Colin Farrell. It marks Coppola's first theatrical release since 2013's The Bling Ring, which was based on the true story of a group of fame-obsessed teenagers who use the internet to track celebrities and break into their homes. On the occasion of the premiere of The Bling Ring back in 2013, we welcome Sofia Coppola for one of our free talks, which are sponsored by HBO. In front of a packed house, the filmmaker discussed her approach to the source material, her experience shooting in digital for the first time, and much more. The conversation was moderated by the director of the New York Film Festival, Kent Jones. Let's go now to their conversation. Thank you for the wa- thank you for the warm welcome. When did you when did this this uh, story come on your radar? I remember it being on the news um, about these teenagers robbing celebrities' houses. Mm. But sh- wait, I should talk more. And I feel like more an MP- NPR voice. I think. <laughs> like, yeah, like, um, do you want me to do like a Garrison <laughs> Keillor kind of voice? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I I remember it was on the Hello, news. Hello, Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I remember it was on the news, and um, and I did, yeah, it seemed like a crazy story, but I didn't pay that much attention. And then I was on the plane looking at a Vanity Fair, and I read the article that Nancy Joe Sales wrote. And um, and when I read the the article and the quotes of the real kids, um, I got really interested in it. And I thought um, somebody has to be making a movie of this, mm-hmm. and um, I never thought that I would, but I I looked <laughs> into the rights and. Um, and the rights were available, and I met Nancy Jo Sales, and she had all these interesting stories, and, um, and I just kept thinking about it, and um, so I started to think about, um, I've, I've never done a, something based on a true crime story, and how I would approach that, and, and still in my style, or something that felt connected to me, and um, but really just reading her, her tra- transcripts and, and all the quotes for the real kids um, just mm-hmm. fascinated me, and I thought it, it had, um, a lot of humor and mm-hmm. excitement, and um, and also I thought really said a lot about contemporary culture. Yeah, because it had it must. I think in the material and then really in the film, it has this edge of kind of terror. Yeah, it has know. a little bit of a horror, yeah. <laughs> sci-fi horror element to me. Yeah, mm. maybe you mm-hmm. could argue that yeah. uh, Marie Antoinette is kind of based on a true crime story. People pillaged to plundered a nation. Oh, yeah, right? I never thought See? of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've heard. Uh, comparisons and just all the like amount of shoes and uh-huh. things like that, but I didn't think about the <laughs> prime aspect. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Did you have? Um, I'm wondering if it was a long process to decide how you were going to tell the story because you tell it in a very unusual way. I think where the, you know, there is a protagonist, but really our attention is shifted between all of these shifts between all of these different people. Um, yeah, I tried to. Um, I mean, when I first started working on the script, the biggest challenge was um, all the most of the characters were unsympathetic. So how do you um, want to watch a story where you don't care about the characters? And 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 then the more I, um, I researched it and read about them, I I f- I, f- I tried to put myself in their mindset of how how they got involved in it. And and then I connected to the main character of this boy who um, kind of got uh, taken in by this group of girls and wanted to be. 
part of the gang and belong and, and you know remembering that they're 16 years old and 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 so you could understand where they were coming where he was coming from mm-hmm. and um and just that they're you know they're kids they're trying to find their identity and they're you know wanting to be part of some life that they think is glamorous and will make mm-hmm. them people mm-hmm. and they're also um walking through their day with adderall coursing through their system oh yeah right. <laughs> yeah that one of the girls did a reality tv show so a lot of the home life was based on what i saw on her reality show yeah i mean the story of her mother could make a film in and of itself yeah um, yeah the show pretty wild is mm-hmm. it's got a lot in there yeah mm-hmm. um and i guess when you were casting and then when you were working with the actors what kind of a tone did you try to set with them to get that sort of floating disaffected feeling um well it's important to me that that it feel as natural and yeah. realistic as possible because the story is so over the top that it yeah. could have easily turned into a cartoon kind of mm-hmm. skit because um a lot of their quotes are pretty sound ridiculous sounding but they there was um so it was important that they that the actors were all really sincere about their intentions so you could make it so it's believable mm-hmm. but the um bless you the um uh one of the in the police reports one of the girls was arrested for stealing something from Lindsay lohan's house and she asked the detective the only thing she said was what did Lindsay say yeah so i I felt like these kind of quotes you know said so much where their where their thinking was how much did you have to invent um a lot of it was based on real details because that's what what i enjoyed so much about working on it Mm -hmm. and learning about it was when i met the boy who was involved and he said that um, the main girl wanted to steal Paris Hilton's dog. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, I couldn't make that up, you know, how um, <laughs> extreme it was. So um, a lot of it was based on, on the real story. And then and then I imagined, you know, just kind of remember being a, a teenager and spending a lot of time driving around, listening to music, and, and mm-hmm. you know, tried to personalize it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. But then when um, Leslie Mann's character appears... The, the, um, it, there's an interesting kind of shift in, in, in tone, I think, because she's a little bit more overtly comic, brilliantly, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit sort of like the parents and peanuts or something. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I like that the parents were, that you really stay in the world of the kids and mm-hmm. they're not connected to the parents and you barely see the parents and it is kind of like that, the way in peanuts you barely, you don't see them or they're garbled. So I did want to have a real separation between the world of the kids and then... Um, the parents' world mm-hmm. that they're not connected to. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought of King of Comedy too. In what way? Um, when Rupert Pumpkin's do, like doing his imaginary talk show and his mom is calling, him, he's like, "Hold on, mom!" Like, so Rupert. there's that. Yeah. yeah. So there's that element <laughs> of kind of when you're a kid and and they have their they're acting cool and then how awkward they are in their real life. Mm. Yeah, because there is that sense of unreality too, like Rupert Pumpkin, like they're kind yeah. of, you know walking through this fantasy version of, you know, um, the way that they li- that they think life should be. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah, and I was struck by, there was a clip of the real boy um, that he posted on Facebook of, he, he filmed himself um, just like smoking a bong and dancing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's really, um, you know, just so raw and personal, like w- watching it is, um, it's pretty embar- embarrassing because it's such a private moment, mm-hmm. and um, and he's feeling really cool, you know, feeling cool, and we so we recreated that in the movie, but but um, it just kind of shows that um, 
yeah, they're kind of where they were in that age. One thing that seems that I thought was really striking in the movie was that in general, I mean, there are a couple of exceptions, but all the interactions between all the kids are more or less desexualized. Like all of their attention is on things. Yeah, yeah. that's what I, I, um, I thought that there wasn't any intimacy mm-hmm. and, um, and there wasn't sexuality. They were, they were just more excited by the stuff and, mm-hmm. and the, glo- you know, patent leather, she, the glossy stuff. But even the girls were looking sexy, but it was more just about to get attention or mm-hmm. they were more interested in fame and, and bling, I thought, from, from the story. Mm-hmm. In and his, that, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, and the boy in real life, he was, um, you know, figuring out his sexuality and, and, yeah. and um, came out as gay after the story. So, so I, I always thought there was a love story between the main girl and boy, but it wasn't sexual. But he, they, that, that way you have this really intense friendships when you're a teenager. That seems really clear in the movie okay. without being stated, I think. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Um, and was he really the one who was always saying, come on, we got to get out of here. Somebody could come any minute. Uh, he, uh, he seemed like he was the definitely the ringleader was, um, you know, calling the shots and he yeah. was kind of keeping up with them. Yeah. I don't know if he got into it more, but that was my impression from, 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 from talking to him and what I read that he, um, that whenever he wanted to get out, she's like, let's just do one more. And then mm-hmm. of course they get busted. And then more and more people started to just kind of glom on to the... Yeah, and they were bragging about it, posting pictures on Facebook of them and their stuff. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, maybe we'll take a look at the... We have a clip. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that was breaking into Paris Hilton's house. Right. <laughs> As if you couldn't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is that's her real house that she let us film. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just found that out today. I was, oh, really? did, yeah, did you just give her a call and ask her and she did it take convincing? Uh, or? I don't know how we came about to actually ask her, but um, Stephen Dorff, who was in somewhere, knew her and he knew I was working on, on the script and he said, oh, Paris Hilton's having a party. Do you want to go to her house? And I said, yes, I, I want to see her house. And um, <laughs> And I... And there were those pillows were really on the couches, and I got my picture taken with one of them, and um, yeah. and I and, and did I you post it on Facebook? No, I don't have a Facebook. I'm <laughs> no, not a Facebook. That's, um, that's a joke. Yeah, yeah. I know. Mm. But um, and I'd heard about her nightclub. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know. Um, yeah. but anyway, she has a. I'd heard about her nightclub room, so I got to see that, and that's all in the movie. But um, yeah. So we saw her house, and and we asked her to do a cameo in the movie, and I don't know how we came about asking her to let us film in her house, but yeah. um, l- luckily she let us film there. We c- yeah, we didn't have the budget to build that hall. <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah. yeah. Were any of the other houses actually the no, real thing? Yeah. No, hers is the only one. The other ones we just invented our yeah. version. We kind of made a little bit more like glamorized version of Hollywood celebrity house. But people actually just kind of left their doors open, their keys under the mat, their wallets in their cars, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, I guess there's yeah. this false sense of security and a lot of, yeah. Like, also, she lives in a gated community and a lot of the, um, where, the, where they were opening cars and stuff, they were, but I guess there's just kind of a relaxed attitude. <laughs> but but yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to um, talk about the, extraordinary look of the film and you know before we started we were you and I were talking about Harris Savides and uh, who passed away um, 
and he was he was there on, on the set of this film and he was very involved in the visual design and yeah, yeah I started um, working with Harris who he got ill during the filming so he had to leave and come back mm-hmm. and, and one of his um, longtime assistant was the operator so he he filled in when Harris couldn't be there and um, yeah, we, we looked at references and talked about the look, and he told me he wanted to shoot it on a digital, on the red camera, which yeah. I had never done before. And um, But I, he's, he was such a great artist, I trusted whatever he thought. And mm. um, so, yeah, it was a good introduction for me. And we, um, I remember showing him some, Claire, the blonde actress you saw, I remember showing him some pictures of her from her Facebook page and her like pink bikini and 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 pictures she took in her car and you know different um, kind of snapshots as of kind of the look of mm-hmm. the movie and um, and uh, and we you know, we, you know, we talked about the um, kind of the contrast between the beige suburban world mm-hmm. and the glittery night of the of the city and um, and it was we were shooting the nightclubs and he would flash lights around and I thought he'd made a really beautiful look out of this world that um, isn't so beautiful mm. um, were there any other references outside of the uh, you said that you talked over visual references yeah I always um, whenever I'm making a movie when I do the script I always put together um, pictures that like um, lookbook that, yeah a lookbook mm. of kind of the mood or the feeling so this one was more um tabloidy but I always look at I have tons of art books and look at um, uh, I can't remember specifically for this but mm. just we look at pictures together and talk about um, the feeling of it and, and we were also mixing the surveillance video and yeah. um, stuff online so it made sense to um, to shoot it digitally mm. do you ever look at uh, movies for reference oh yeah not not so much for the photography but um, I thought about Over the Edge and Foxes mm-hmm. for this. And I think yeah. I mentioned Foxes to him. Yeah. And there's a shot where the girls are in bed at the beginning and it's really backlit and that yes. was kind of an homage to Foxes. Yeah. But I love that tradition of um, teen bad kid yeah. movies. So I wanted to make this in that tradition. And that's an essential teen bad kid movie, Foxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Foxes. And Over the Edge. And Over the yeah. Edge, too. Yeah. Matt Dillon. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, I'm sure everyone who's seen the film was probably as astonished as I was by that incredible shot of them walking through Orlando, what's supposed to be Orlando oh, Bloom's the little, house. the glass house on the hill? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was a Harris shot that That's he designed from across the, the street, the yeah, slow zoom. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, um, I was really grateful to Harris because he, we were shooting all these robberies and we're trying to make each one look different. And yeah. um, when he saw the location photos of this glass house, um, he said, oh, we have to shoot it from across the street. And, and that was a Harris shot that we, we were running out of time and we took it off the schedule at one point and he really thought that we, we have to get that shot. Mm. So I'm, I'm so glad because that is one of my favorite shots and a shot that people notice. And it's love. stunning. Mm. But mm. one, and, and one of the elements that I think makes it so stunning also is the sound of the yeah. coyotes and the sirens. Oh, I, um, I love working with Richard Beggs who I've done all my films with and, um, and he comes up with such, uh, whenever I see the movie after he's worked on it, it's, it's like a whole other thing. So he, I loved how we, we thought, oh, would we, I'm glad we didn't need to use music there and that he, he um, built the atmosphere with the other coyotes in the hills and just makes you feel like you're there. Yeah, and sirens, um, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. 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 Um, tell me about the casting process for this film. I would imagine it might have been a little bit different from... 
Yeah, I mean, it was really important for us to um, to put this gang of kids together, and and my casting team spent a year meeting young actors everywhere, and um, uh, and I was excited to to have some kids that have never been. Uh, it's, it's their first movie for a few of them, and then um, they said, "Oh, she meet Emma Watson. They really liked her. I would have never thought of her for this kind of Valley Girl," mm-hmm. and. Um, and she had a really interesting um, kind of take on it. And um, yeah, so she, she studied her Calabasas accent and, um, <laughs> and, and took it really seriously. Mm. And, then, um, and then the other kids were, um, there's one girl from Chicago and uh, one girl from LA, the blonde, who's like a real LA girl. So she was um, sort of our consultant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she she helped us through because she was the only one that was really from there, and um, and uh, one girl from uh, Taysa uh, Farmiga, whose yeah sister is Vera, Vera Farmiga. Farmiga's yeah. Sister, yeah, so um, yeah, it was really we just met tons of kids, and then you we kind of would put all their pictures up on the wall and look how they felt as a group, and because they had to work together, and and then we did rehearsals before filming, and they spent a lot of time together. So by the time we started shooting, they felt like. Um, friends and they had kind of a rapport that I, I think comes through do you let um the actors get to the set and work out their blocking on, on on set to be inspired by the sets themselves yeah i've never been able to shot list or plan yeah. before i see the actors on set and yeah. and and then let them do what feels natural in the environment yeah. and then we plan how we're going to shoot it around that yeah. and um so yeah i you know i have an idea of what i want it to look like but then we get on set and then um, I always try to see what what feels right to them, mm. and then we figure it out together. And you're always, I, it looks like you're always trying to surprise yourself. Yeah, yeah I try to keep it. Um, uh, it's not it's not too planned out. I try to be flexible and yeah. and um, you know open to to what happens because you don't yeah you don't really know until you get there, and and you try things out. I, I mean that that leads me to a. a a broader question about all of your work, which is, I, I have this impression, and maybe this is something that we can talk about or not, that when you make a film, you're in pursuit of something that's almost so delicate that it's unnameable, um, and that you want to um, let things happen that are, I, I mean, sometimes in your movies, there's a spell that's cast that's almost very difficult to uh, to write about or to talk about. Oh, that's um, nice. I don't know, um, no, <laughs> that's cool. I, <laughs> I feel like, and I don't know if somebody said this or I imagine it, but you, it's like I'm trying to remember a dream. Like you have a, I think when you start a movie, you have like an impression of mm. what it feels like or, but I'm not ever sure exactly what, what it is. And, and a lot of times I don't know why I'm drawn to something in, until after, like I try not to analyze them. I just mm. try to go along with it. And then, and then later I can say, see how that connects to something. But I, I try to, I try to be intuitive as much as I can. And I, usually when I'm writing it, I have a, a sense of the the atmosphere, just sort of the feeling of the look or the music, and um, but I'm not really sure where where it's co- where it's going. Mm-hmm. But you're trying to protect something, preserve something that you. I guess whatever felt. whatever initially sparked your I- interest, I try yeah. to um, I try to capture that or stick with that. Mm-hmm. But, um, that's what yeah. I, I think Stanley Kubrick said something like that. He said oh, really? that's that's what you spend all of your time doing is trying to protect that little kernel of something that yeah 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 um but yeah for me it's it's um yeah trying to find um you find your way you you start off with an idea and then you you try to find it i guess Mm. Mm. um Mm. 
In this particular movie, did you see things as you were shooting it tip a little bit more in the direction of comedy sometimes, or I, I always like things that have um, that have some humor to them, and I thought yeah. the story had a lot of hu- humor, just in the kind of, but in a, in a touching way, and just like the absurd things in, in life, and um, and because they're, they're kids making these kind of crazy decisions, and mm-hmm. so I tried to, um, yeah, I always enjoy that part, and the fact that, you know, that they really said, oh, Paris probably leaves her keys under the mat, and they went there, and they really were under the mat, like, um, so I, en- I enjoy all those kind of details, and, um, and so I try to, to put those in, but, um, but, you know, it's always in a, try to be naturalistic or, or subtle, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I would know how to do, like, full-on comedy, even though I yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, you're trying to catch a way of behaving, a way of living. Uh, yeah, and it's always, yeah. like, kind of the funny little details that, that I like. Yeah. Um, have the people who uh, whose houses were robbed seen the film? I don't think so. Just Paris. Uh-huh. Yeah. And? <laughs> and? Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was really into it. She she came to our premiere and okay. she, she said she got emotional when she saw them in her house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Mm. Yeah. So has all that changed? Do they now have, you know... Security. Yeah, 24-hour security oh, guards. And, I don't you know. know. I'm sure. I'm sure after all that, people are more more careful yeah but, yeah okay but i wasn't thinking so much about um the victims or or i was really yeah. trying to stay in the point of view of the kids yeah in the story so mm-hmm. mm. um maybe we'll take some questions from the audience mm-hmm. if uh you know we have a mic yeah right there Hi, um, Sophie, I was wondering, with a great deal of your movies, you uh, marriage um, a certain time period with music um, for, like with Marie Antoinette, you had the 80s rock, and um, so you had more of an atmospheric um, vibe with um, Somewhere. Um, ha- um, would you describe the uh, music that accompanies um, the bling ring? Oh, um, I tried to have um, music that the, the kids would really be listening to, so there's more like, hip-hop songs and stuff that I would normally listen to and um and I wanted to have the um the energy of um these kids on this thrill ride so um so I picked music that that had that feeling and there's a um, a song by Sleigh Bells that is the opening of the movie that I was listening to that and I pictured the opening of the movie and was writing it to that song and I played that song on set so um this movie I think has a kind of hyper obnoxious feeling and I wanted that to be in in all the elements. Mm. What do you mean hyper obnoxious feeling? <laughs> Seriously? D- yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> um, yeah. I um well after after somewhere was so slow and minimal, um yeah. I was when I read the story I was just in the mood to do something fast paced and kind of just not bright colors and yeah, yeah, fast yeah. cutting and okay. loud music and um and not as tasteful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, more... Contemplative. Right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Less minimal, I guess, yeah. Brad Balfour. Yes. Um, did the uh, did the actors get a chance to talk to the kids? Did you get a chance to talk to the kids? And what I, I want to look inside that conversation and also what you guys talked about once you've seen these houses. What, what did everybody feel? Conspicuous consumption? Or did they want to walk away with the Beaumont or not? Oh, um... I met uh, one of the girls and one of the boys of the real burglary ring, um, but the actors never met them. And um, I 
Yeah, I just was trying to learn as much as I could about their point of view, and and the boy was the most helpful because he, um, you know, he talked about it, and I could tell that it was this great th- thrill. But then, of course, he was about he was on his way to jail and what it had done to his life. So it was, it was he was also remorseful, and um, and I think it was just hearing his perspective and and kind of little details that he told me about how they would steal cars, like no big deal, and um, so that was helpful and interesting and then and the girl was um still talking about how she wasn't involved which was uh, you know the other side of it so um but yeah but i only met them you know kind of briefly and um but the real the actors didn't meet them and um what you asked what what we thought of the houses like the excess um we just talked about kind of we stayed in the, you know, talked about what these characters were into and kind of tried to stay focused on that. I think the the kids, the actors were, you know, aware of that, but because um, they're not like the kids in the movies at all and they weren't into that stuff and so they had to kind of find a way to get in, into it and um, we had to tell the boy how to pronounce Dior and things like that. <laughs> he said Dwar. We did like a reading. And um, so, yeah, they had to find a way to get into it, but they, they all have a good perspective of, because the story's so extreme. I mean, and that raises a question, which is, do you, as a director, ever discuss um, the underlying theme with the actors, or do you find that a, a helpful thing to do? I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't like to um, get out of it. I like to stay yeah. in the yeah. in the moment, stay in the point of view. And I had them watch movies that glorified bur- uh, ro- robberies, and they watched um, Thomas Crown Affair yeah, and Ocean's Eleven, and yeah. I wanted them to stay in the mindset of the characters that that, that this was fun and. Yeah. And a thrill, and, and not and not look at, you know, the other side of it. Yeah. Let's take someone up here. Yes, in the back. Excuse me. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to ask. I've seen all your films except for this one, which comes out on my birthday. But okay. uh, <laughs> uh, how do you get great performances? Like even with Elle Fanning in Somewhere and your first film, like you really get good performances from young actors. How do you how do you go about doing that? Oh, thank you. I think it's in the casting, just casting talented um, actors. Elle Fanning, I, um, when I met her, I just was so taken with her. I felt she can do anything. So I, I just um, kind of let her do her thing. And, you know, we talked. And, um, and I try to make the set as comfortable as possible and, and also try to make the set close to the feeling of um, what the scene is. So when there's a party scene, we'll really play music and... And try to make it feel like that and I think um, I guess trying to make this atmosphere of the set close to what's going on in the scene helps but I think a lot of it's casting people that also that you, you think um, understand what you're trying to do so you talk about it and they get it um, that helps and but thank you um, I'm trying to think and then doing rehearsals like we do a lot of um, in- improvisations together which um, something I learned from my dad was um, and on Virgin Suicides, we did was like building fake memories for your characters. So on Virgin Suicides, we rehearsed in the real house, and they they made lunch together as a family, and and did things together. So then when we start filming, they they haven't just met; they have um, you know these kind of memories of their characters, and I I find that helpful. And in somewhere with Elle Fanning and Stephen Dorff, he he really would pick her up from school, and we went bowling, and you know stuff that the characters might do. So um, I, I find that helpful. Thank you very much. You've really been an inspiration for me as a filmmaker. Thank you. Happy birthday. Thanks. (laughs) 
Were you able to rehearse a lot in the real spaces for the for the bling ring? For this, um, this one we we um, we didn't get to rehearse so much in the real places because we were changing locations yeah. every day. But I had them. I had a friend leave their house one night in the Hollywood Hills, and they had to break in mm-hmm. to the house. They had to find a way in, and we told them things they had to take, and um, and then and they worked out a lot of their kind of robbery gang dynamics during mm-hmm. that so um so we set up things like that but not actually the real places yeah mm-hmm. yep. um, hi that, sophia oh. uh, back here hi. hi how are you good thank you good um the question i had for you was um and since i haven't seen the film um i don't know if there's any truth to these comparisons it could be you know journalists being journalists um but um I've read reports that um, journalists are drawing comparisons of the bling ring to the March film Spring Breakers with Harmony Corinne. And I was wondering if you think there are any truth to these comparisons, sort of like the girls being bad complex. And I was just curious to hear your thoughts on that comparison. Oh, yeah. I, I haven't seen Spring Breakers, but from my impression, from, from what I know about it, um, I can see people bringing it up to me. But um, I, I feel like... Th- the approach of this movie is is a different point of view. It's not an exploitation movie, and that one I feel like is more like an exploitation thrill ride with girls in bikinis. And um, so I feel like it's a different a different look. But and it's also I don't know. This is a, a true story in that one, but I I can see that there's kids dressing trashy and ha- having bad behavior. So in that way, I feel like that's in the air. But um, but I feel like it's a different um, a different. Uh, kind of point of view of that, and um, okay, <laughs> hope that answers that. I think that I just want. To, I think that when Paul Schrader's movie The Canyons with Lindsay Lohan opens, that's going to be <laughs> brought into the conversation too. When is that coming out? It's actually at the beginning of August. Oh, because I remember reading mm. about it, and then oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was someone. Yeah, if you these to, ones in this. We're going to repeat the question because um, young lady. Oh, didn't she asked if a lot of my characters, protagonists, are young women, and do is there an autobiographical aspect? Do you mean in this movie or all of my movies? Um, oh. Especially this movie, but. Oh, and this one, um, no, it's it's probably the least personal of my movies, but I, um, but I still, you know, put myself in it and try to find a way to connect to it but I think it was the biggest challenge to try to get myself in the point of view of, of these characters where Lost in Translation the girl was really based on things I was thinking about going through at that time so so that was different for me and um, and that was yeah the biggest challenge was trying to I mean I, the, the boy is the main character that I was trying to who I was relating to and to try to um, remember being that age and and you know he's vulnerable and how you know how I could connect to, to that in the character but there's different I feel like in like in somewhere there's parts of myself in the Stephen Dorff character and in the Elle Fanning and you know I think with any character you, you find parts of yourself that it's an aspect of you that you can relate to do you, have you had the occasion to, to take a second look at some of your films after the fact and get a different perspective on them yeah, I haven't. Um, it's funny because I saw Virgin Suicides at a screening and I hadn't watched it on a screen um, since we made it. So yeah. it, was, it was fun to watch because enough time has passed that I could actually watch it and mm-hmm. feel like an audience. And um, But otherwise I haven't. Like I'll see a little clip on TV or something, but I haven't really watched my, yeah. my work. Mm. Yeah. It's hard to... Is someone way in the back. Hello. I'm just curious. Um, being a third 
um, woman to win an Oscar and being from a um, third generation Oscar winning family, have you ever experienced any type of uh, um, glass ceiling in such a male dominated industry in directing? I think um, because I originate my own work and I, um, I'm not up for jobs against people very much that I, I don't feel that. I feel like I, I, I make my moves and I'm able to, to make them, but, um, but I'm sure, I mean, I've had, I've had experiences where, um, you know, I'm, I'm aware of that and sometimes there's a, a boys club, but, um, but in general, I feel lucky that I've been able to, to, you know, make the kind of films that I want to make. Yeah. Um, maybe we could just get the, oh, okay. One sec. Oh, oh, there goes the microphone. Yeah. Hello. Okay, it's still working. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thanks. Um, I'm wondering how um, you use the material from Pretty Wild because there was just so much of it um, that really showed exactly what was going on during the arrest and everything. And if like Emma Watson watched it at all to get some inspiration for the character or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was fascinating that these characters I was reading about had a reality show at home, and I'm sure they were acting up for the cameras and kind of wasn't I don't know how realistic it was but I definitely got a lot from the home life from them and um I don't know I think I just watched it until I kind of had had enough of it and um <laughs> and just took um the stuff that stood out in, in my mind with um with her handing out Adderall to the kids and making a big deal of it and, and her homeschooling them with the secret that definitely was was unique and um and I thought yeah. you know What's up, it's unique yeah. yeah I thought yeah. that added an element of kind of where they were coming from um so I, and and then and then I loved the inner interview I, I um there's a scene where she's doing the interview with the Vanity Fair reporter that I that I really took the dialogue from um it's all from the transcripts of the real interview and um but yeah I can't remember how I went through it, but it just I I didn't want to um I wanted to keep it in balance and I didn't want to have that character have a reality show because then it just felt like a whole other story. I wanted to keep it just a slice of that, that moment but just have a little impression of the, their life at home. Did you, do a, did you study the Church of the Secret? No. So I, I got a book and I kind <laughs> of looked at it but I didn't really take it, it all in. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. but I was surprised Good. that there isn't a curriculum for homeschooling that it's such for, a free for With the for Church all. of the Secret, I yeah. know. She seems to have developed that on her own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's admirable. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering that uh, did those kids actually brag about those actually elaborate in a school? I mean, I just saw the film today. I was wondering that did, they, did those kids actually brag about At school? in a school like that? In school. Yeah. He, he asked if they bragged about the robbery in school. Um, yeah, it was my impression from from other kids that how they got arrested were uh, because they were talking about it at parties at these valley parties, and then they were posting pictures on Facebook of them with the stuff, and um, and and people called in and said, "Oh yeah, so and so was talking about that." So they weren't they were they were proud of it. They were. Mm. Mm. Yes, over here. Discuss a little bit about maybe like your process when you're writing your films and how you how you basically formulate the idea and then decide, okay, this is what I'm gonna make. Oh yeah, I guess um, after I finish a movie, I'm I take a little break and then figure out what um, I'm drawn to. And so with this, but I'm never sure what's going to be. And then with this, I um, yeah. At first, I didn't think I would. I just thought it'd be a, a fun movie, but I didn't really think I would do it. And then I I 
read more about it and got into it and um I get maybe like watching other movies. I remember I remember thinking about To Die For, which I which was based on a real story and I loved yeah. um how Gus Van Sant made made that it had a little bit of a that had more of a documentary kind of collage feeling. Back and forth yeah. Yeah, where the characters are talking to the camera. Yeah. But um wait, so how do I approach the script? Is that what? Yeah, I guess with original, when it, when I wrote an original script, I had little bits of um, idea. Like for Lost of Translation, I had little ideas for scenes, and I would just write notes and almost like little short stories of moments for scenes, and then finally had enough of them that I started to kind of piece them together. Um, and then this, when it's based on material, I, I had a big binder of all these transcripts from the journalists, and I just went through them, kind of highlighting anything that I thought was interesting, and then looking at how to string those pieces together into a story. And um, and it was kind of a puzzle with all the robberies. I remember having like index cards all over my wall, trying to figure out the the um, the series of of balancing the the robberies. And what they're doing is is so redundant because they're doing the same thing over and over again. So kind of making that um, the pattern for the story. Um, but it's always mysterious to me. I, I find writing really hard and, um, and somehow you get, get through it to the end, but um, it's, always a, it's always a struggle. I wanna uh, shift gears for one second, ask a technical question. This is the first time that you've shot um, digitally um, and you shot on the red. So I was just wondering what the experience was like for you and how it, was, how it felt different. Yeah, I um I love film so much. I was really hesitant to move into the modern world and but it it seemed suited for this movie and I thought it was really fun. It was fun to see what you were shooting right away and um and on some big beautiful monitor, but I did find that it was more passive and um cuz I'd find myself hanging out at the monitor and I have to remind myself to go back on set and mm -hmm. participate cuz I was yeah, you, know, you feel like you're sitting in front of this big TV w watching your m movie mm -hmm. and um and it's different than the mode of ma making your movie. Yes. So I, I've never used monitors before. I've always um, just been at the camera and had like a little clamshell to take the shot, but I've never yeah. been one of those people that sits by a monitor. So that was a little bit, um, you know, kind of tempting. Mm -hmm. But um, I was happy with the the result. And um, as far as the crew, like it didn't seem that, that much different. I thought you could, you still have to light it and, and it's st you still need, um, it's it's not, it wasn't so different, the, the crew size or the way, the approach, but I, I think the only thing different was being able to watch it as you go. Did you change anything in post? Um, I think we had, we had little things to clean up that were easier mm -hmm. to, to remove or change things, but, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not in the habit of, of fixing it. Plus I'm used to film, so yeah. there were little things and it was easier. And I think just um, mixing the surveillance footage and um, I'm trying to think, yeah. Mm. I guess dovetailing off the question around the process, I was curious about the fact that the movie is based on real events. Did that ever feel like a creative constraint and how did you overcome it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think because, um, because I made it, I wasn't, because I made it fictionalized and I changed their names, I felt more freedom to, um, to change things, but I, I really, liked basing it on the real material because that was so interesting to me. So it really is based on um, on the real facts, but then I, 
I didn't feel I felt that I could change things as I needed um, because it, you know I changed their names and and I could kind of make it my own. And I combined characters. A lot of times with real stories, there's more characters involved that it would be confusing in a movie. So you can you know combine them and make them a, a smaller group to be able to follow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, can you just wait mm. for the microphone? You come such a, from such a large family, and you direct a lot of your your relatives. How is it? How did, How does it? How do you feel directing your relatives like Jason and Marie Antoinette? Oh, I mean, it was fun to do Marie Antoinette with Jason because you know we grew up together, and um, I love Jason, and also he's so entertaining and and fun to have around. So it's nice. Um, you, you know, it just feels like an extension of um, your time together, and um, and it's always nice to have that familiarity on set and, and Kirsten I've known since she was 16 so I you know I, I, th I think of her like family so um, it's you know it always makes it you know nice to have people that you're close to yeah mm -hmm. thank you thanks uh, yeah when you're making a film uh, do you have any favorite films or filmmakers that you can solve to inspire you or to guide your direction oh yeah I mean I definitely have movies that I love and um, and I think with each movie you think about um uh, references for that partic particular one and um, um, I'm trying to think for this I mean I, I was thinking of Over the Edge and Foxes for the kind of the spirit of these kids frustrated in their life and wanting to to grow up and um, and uh, I don't know with Lost I was thinking with, like, with Lost in Translation I loved Brief Encounter which um, had this mm. relationship with the restraint so there's definitely um and with Marie Antoinette, there was um, the the movie with um, was it was it called Listomania? The one the Franz Liszt Listomania? movie. Listomania. Yeah. Um, now I think of it. Yeah. Roger Daltrey. Yes, and yeah. I thought about that where they have um, they have paparazzi with snapshot cameras and ice cream sundays, but it's you know it takes place. It's about Franz Liszt, so that kind of that they had that pop freedom. So definitely, it, um, movies will influence what I'm working on. What about somewhere? Is there something? Somewhere, oh, Harris showed me a, um, a Chantal Ackerman film. Um, it was an address of a woman in... Yeah, Jean Dillman. Jean Dillman. Yeah. He showed me that, and that they ha it has takes in real time that go, um, that go on and on, and, and, that, and that got me excited about the idea of shooting things more in real time and, 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 and just having one shot go on. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>